And the Jews, the Israelites, have been at Mount Sinai. It's been a year since they came out of Egypt. God delivered them, showed his strong hand for them, and he's instructed them with his law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the religious law, how to be worshipped, the animal sacrifices, how he's worshipped, and then the civil law, how we conduct ourselves with tolerance and civility toward our neighbors and respect and dignity. Covered all that. He's done the census for the tribes, so we have 600,000 men over the age of 21 who are in the army, the standing army of the 12 tribes, Joseph's tribe being subdivided, Manasseh and Ephraim. Levites, the 12th tribe, they're counted, but they're counted for the priesthood, the service to the priesthood, and helping with the tabernacle. We've covered all of that. So now they're on the move, and as we come to chapter 11, they've, they've been on the move. They've already, they've rolled out. It's been one year and a, and a month since they were delivered. They've had two Passovers, the one that they left Egypt and one in the wilderness, and now they've rolled out. And as you come to chapter 11, it's a, a longer text with quite a bit of historical text because now we're getting into the historical elements of the book of Numbers. So I'm going to survey some things, and then we're going we're to connect it all and focus on it. So in Numbers chapter 11, the circumstance is this. They're, they're on the move, and then there's a group called the Mixed Multitude. They're on the fringe of the camp, and there was a mixed multitude of people that came out of Egypt with them. They weren't necessarily the Israelites, but they were a mixed multitude, and they came with them. And they began to complain against the Lord. And what they complained about is they didn't like the manna, the supernatural food God was giving them. They didn't like that they wanted meat, and they just, they just complained. And so the first six verses of chapter 11, they're complaining, and God actually consumes them with fire. So they complained, they got consumed, they were on the outskirts of the camp, they were the farthest you could be from the tabernacle, the central place of worship, and they're called the mixed multitude, and they gave in to intense cravings, carnal, fleshly cravings, and they cursed the manna, which really is symbolic of Christ, because Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. That all happened. And then there's an explanation of what the manna was like. It's like a pastry. It's a, it's a sweet pastry. It's, a, it's good. And it's, it's a food of angels, we're told in the Psalms. It's very special. Like, there's only one time in human history that a generation ate manna, food from heaven. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? And it's told, we're told in the Psalms, it's angel food. Like, wow, that's pretty unique. And they, they cursed against it. So Moses, in verses 7 through 15, just says, God, I, I can't do this. I can't handle these people complaining, 2.5 million people complaining against me. It's more than I can do. Why have you afflicted me? Why you put me in charge of this group of people if you're going to strike them down like this? And, and then he says, I can't bear this alone. I, I can't do this. And, he's, and he says, please kill me if you're not going to deliver me from my own wretchedness. And we talked about this Tuesday night. It's so often when we're overwhelmed by circumstances. We just got, like, we see our own wretchedness. So sometimes an overwhelming circumstance isn't bad because we see our wretchedness in the mirror, and that's the beginning of repentance and faith to make things right. But he says, you know, do not let me see my wretchedness because right now I'm so frustrated, I'm just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And then God says in verses 16 through 22 that, hey, look, I'm going to take, you've picked 70 men of the elders, and I'm going to put my spirit on them that I put on you, and they're going to help you. You don't have to do it alone. Remember, we had the topical study where God gave the Levites to the priest to help them. And so, like, you know, quality people that God brings into our life to help us. And God's going to, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you help. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the spirit on you, on them, and you can do this. It's, it's not all on you. But as for the mixed multitude, I'm going to give them meat. I'm going to give them meat until it comes out of their nostrils, verse 20. And uh, it's going to become loathsome to you because you despise the Lord who is among you. So 
God says, I'm going to give you over to your carnal cravings. I'm going to give you so much meat, it's coming out of your nostrils, which is kind of pretty graphic, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. And then progressing in the middle of this, in verse 22, he said something, the text is extremely profound, which is going to be our primary text tonight. It says, and the Lord said, because Moses goes, like, how in the world are you going to do that? Like, how are you going to feed 2.5 million people meat? Like, are you going to get all the fish out of the sea? Are you going to bring all, you know, can we slaughter all of our cattle that's for animal sacrifices? Like, how, how in the world could that ever happen? It's not in Moses' wheelhouse to understand how it could happen. And the Lord says to him in verse 23, and the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. He just puts it out there to Moses. So then Moses went out and told the people, the spirit of the Lord came upon the 70 elders. Interestingly enough, two of them were in the camp and not outside the camp when they all got the Holy Spirit upon them. And the two were in the camp. They had the Holy Spirit come upon them and they were prophesying. So they were, they were prophesying as evidence that something supernatural is happening. And these two missed the bus, but they're back at the bus stop and they're prophesying like this. And the other 68 out here, like they're prophesying like that. And then the, the report comes to Moses and Joshua, who's young at the time, says, hey, I don't like those guys prophesying in the camp. They tell them to stop it. And Moses is like, why would I tell them to stop it? Would to God that we'd all be prophesying. Sounds familiar, right? Like there's New Testament stuff like that. Well, then after that, in verse 31, so they get the Spirit. So God keeps his word. The 70 get the Spirit upon them. And then in verse 31 through 35, it's the end game for the meat lovers. <laughs> they, they, got, they got their meat. And, and it said the meat was literally between their teeth when they were chewing, and the wrath of the Lord came upon them. There are quite a, It's quite a contrast in this text because you have one group of people given over under the wrath of God, spiraling downward, and they're carnal. And you have another group of a few people where God puts his spirit upon them, and they're moving upward to their call and purposes in God. Like, wow, talk about timing for us. I mean, it's always timing with the Lord, but good timing tonight. So let's come back to verse 23 with all that background and that survey. And look at this phrase. Look at every word as we read it right now. And the Lord said... To Moses. Now, Moses, Moses is his mediator. Speaking of himself in the second person, has the Lord's arm been shortened? In other words, is God no longer able? Is God not able to do something here? Is this out of God's realm of uh, omnipotent power? And then God, so it goes from a question mark to a declaration. Now you shall see. Now is a timeline. When you learn a language, there's the past, the present, and the future. As you just begin to pick up words in a language, you're going to learn the past, present, and the future. Ahora, mañana, now, tomorrow, right? Like this is, this is critical. And in all this stuff, suddenly the Lord says, now. Now you're going to see whether or not I can do what I say I'm going to do. So he gives it a timeline. Now you shall see with what I say whether it comes to pass. So has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see what I said will happen. As we think about this, we could really, I really look to the middle of this verse where it says, now you shall see. And I think it's safe to say we'd all like to see the Lord do something supernatural on this planet right about now 
on behalf of his church, the bride of Jesus Christ, people who love him and trust in him with everything they got. And we'd like to see God do something special on this church, on this planet, not just for the church, but for the lost, like an outpouring of the Spirit, where people would be broken and repentant and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We'd like to see the Lord protect, justify, and vindicate his church. We've been through a lot this year. And we'd like to see the Lord bring truth and transparency to everything. And we'd like to see the Lord save people who are his enemies that maybe would turn around and be changed. And when John and James, when Jesus was rejected in a Samaritan village, John and James said to Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven? And Jesus said, you you just don't understand what spirit you are of to even say that. That's not why I came. People are already perishing. I didn't come to torch them. They're already perishing. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And it'd be a few years later when John himself would go with Peter to the Samaritan villages and see the Holy Spirit fall on people who were formerly their number one enemies ethnically and see them give their lives to Christ, see the supernatural and the church birth and expanding in another region outside the wheelhouse of the early Jerusalem church, which was strictly initially Jewish ethnic descendants. And I, as we think about this and we look at this text, if we really think it through, I personally, maybe a lot of you, we, we want to see the Lord. Injustices are hard to, 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 to go through. And maybe personally, you've had injustices against you. You've been wrongly accused at work, wrongly accused by the family. You've had judges rule against you when they should have ruled for you. I know people in this church that have suffered great injustices in the court of law. But the world is filled with injustices, and the history of humanity is injustices. And there's all kinds of generations before us. I mean, if you go back to, like, 1830 in America and the blacks, the slaves, singing Negro spiritual songs, they sang songs about Moses. They sang songs about deliverance. They sang songs about the blood, and they were not delivered. They were abused. You go back to, like, the believers in Germany in the 1700s in Prussia, the Morovians. They didn't want to be part of the Lutheran state church. They, they, they wanted to worship God, not under state church, but with free conscience of mind. And they, they worshiped the Lord. They praised the Lord. They had some affluent people that joined them and gave credibility to them. But in the end, they were persecuted and they suffered many injustices. They became missionaries more than anything else because they had to flee Prussia and that part of the world because they were not part of the established state church of Lutheranism. So as we might be believers in 2020 feeling like there's been great injustices against the church, for me, just a really good example is that in Nevada, you can have an abortion, you can go to a casino, but you can't do church, right? Like, that's an injustice. I mean, that's just, that's just ludicrous. That's just so unacceptable in the eternal kingdom of God, but it is acceptable in the kingdoms of men. But remember, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said to Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, we'd take it by force, and we definitely could overthrow you. Remember when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden? He said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus, and he knocked them all down. He said to Peter and the apostles, could, my, could I not call down thousands of angels right now? We need perspective. In all that we're feeling in frustration with our jobs, the changes of school, the changes of society, 
the impact on the church and religious organizations, we just have to keep the perspective that God truly is in control. And that's the, that's the, fla- that's the flashpoint of our lives right now, tonight. He really is in control. We've all got to come to a place right now who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that God is in control. And we have to just come to a place of surrender. That's literally what we have to do. We have to come to a place of surrender. And we can't measure what's going on by how we feel, what our lives have been like for 60 years, 40 years, 20 years, or 15 years. Or what the lives of people that we love and admire were before, who came before us. They're gone. We're here. We're the church. Pastor Chuck's gone. Vernon McGee's gone. Billy Graham's gone. We're here. And we're, you know, we've lost a lot of that leadership that we would respect, particularly in the Calvary movement, but for the overall body of Christ. But we're here. And for me, clearly, what God has been showing me is the only thing we can really do is to pray. Because if you go down a, a, a flow chart of options, right? When you have injustices, there's, you, know, you start going down a flow chart of options. If you had injustices with a court of law, if you had injustices with a, a neighbor, if you had injustices at work, you, you, know, you can go down a flow chart of how you can vindicate yourself and get justice, or we can go to court, we can just be a vigilante, we can be lawless, we can, you know, you can go toward lawlessness and being your own avenger. But in the end, God is in control of his universe. When you walk out tonight, you look at all these stars, and they're giant, huge planets, a lot of them suns, 100,000 times bigger than our sun. And it's all out there doing what God's designed it to do, and knows the hairs on our head. And so when we, when we look at this night, we begin by saying, is the Lord's arm short? The answer, of course, is no. God is, well, it's like Veggie Tales. God is bigger than the boogeyman, right? Like, you know, if you go back to the 90s, you remember that with your kids. <laughs> then the monster on TV, it's one of the original Veggie Tales from like 1994, 95. It's one of the original ones. Junior Asparagus was so afraid, right? And there's always a boogeyman out there. And yes, we are seeing globalism, global power, global money, global agendas that are frightening at face value for the threat they represent to our national sovereignty. And of course, we're all very concerned about this election and wanting transparency. You know, when I was a pro athlete, I could handle losing, but I couldn't handle losing when someone's cheating. And I think we can all agree with that. And even today, as hundreds of thousands of people hit the streets in America at capitals, they interviewed a lot of veterans, and a lot of them just said, we're fine with losing. We just want to know it was a fair election. So let's get everything out in the open and know it's a fair election. But what if it isn't a fair election? I mean, we could have been serfs in the 1600s in Russia. We could have been slaves in America in 1810. There's, there's all kinds of things that are unfair in life. Our faith can't be based upon something being fair. Our faith has to be based upon Christ being Lord and us picking up our cross and following him. All he promised us, which is the best thing he ever promised, is we can't keep this life and we lose it to gain the life we can't lose. He promised us eternal life. He promised us a narrow gate. 
and he promised us a death sentence, that we must die to ourselves. And no one likes to be crucified. Personally, in a sense, spiritually, when God's doing a refining work on our life, or collectively. Especially when you don't understand what's going on and you feel like you're in the woods without a compass saying north. But we have to ask ourselves, is the Lord's hand, has the Lord's hand been shortened? Is God any less sovereign or any less omnipotent tonight than he was this same night a year ago? Of course not. All over the Bible we read, God is able, God is able, God is able, God is able. So when God's not moving in the realm of justice or fairness or equity as we think he should be, I'm talking about the church, the context of the church, and even humanity to some degree. It's not because he can't, which means there's a bigger lesson in a bigger picture. And if you think about how frustrated you might be with things going on right now, Pastor Chuck used to say this a lot, big God, little problem, or little God, big problem. And he used to talk on a personal level that if, if you want to defend yourself or avenge yourself or vilify yourself, you can. But isn't it better to let God do that? Like, really, what could the American citizens do right now to stop what's going on from the globalists in this country? That would be better than praying to God to reveal it, expose it, and stop it. Like, what can we really do? Like, we can get worked up, and we can get frustrated, but really, I mean, we can write our congressman or woman. We can go somewhere and let our voice be made known, which, again, hundreds of thousands of people did today in the United States. But it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, spirit says the Lord. And what we need God to do right now, again, I'm not praying for a result on the election. I'm just praying for truth and transparency. That's really what I'm praying for. And really, Republicans and Democrats both should be crying out for truth and transparency. Because for any American citizen to not be able to trust in our elective process, we're doomed. So we really are praying for truth and transparency. Because I'm like, Lord, what do we do? Like, I feel like I don't even understand what's going on. You know, it's God's will when you pray for truth and transparency. If he chooses to reveal it, great. If he doesn't, He's got a bigger plan. And I've said things like, well, I wonder if all that's gone on in this country wrong for all these years has really actually come down on this generation. I mean, have you thought that? I've thought that. All the evils, all the injustices on Native Americans, blacks, Asians, whites, humanity, the unborn, the year I was born, they took prayer out of public school, 61. Then the year I'm in junior high, they introduced abortion and teach it in the junior high, Valley Junior High in 1974-75. We just watched all this happen in my timeline. If you're a baby boomer, you're close to my age, you just feel like, wow, what a time to be born when everything God has removed from all the public sector and influence of society but the real issue isn't that the communists have been paying billions of dollars secretly to our universities for 20 years. The real issue is what has the church been doing at the same time? Have they been believing the gospel? Have they been preaching the blood? Why weren't we out in the streets defending innocent blood? I don't know. 
But maybe this is... Abraham Lincoln, in the Gettysburg Address, and it's there at the Lincoln Monument, if you've ever been there, one of the shortest speeches ever in U.S. government history, one of the most profound speeches at the Gettysburg Address where tens of thousands of Americans were killed and the the Union was preserved because day two was the most critical day. Three days of Gettysburg. Day two is the most important day because that's when the 20th Maine held the left flank at Little Little, Little Round Top. If they had fallen that flank, the Confederates would have won and they would have rolled D.C. We'd have two nations. But when Lincoln came there shortly after all that, he just said, woe when judgments come and judgments must come, but woe to whom those they come. You can Google the Gettysburg Address. It's, it's, it's an easy read. It's very short. And I've thought outside, like, wow, is Lord just, is this, is this it? Then I think, well, is this the end game? I mean, it's obviously, you know, the Bible makes it very clear. There's a global government that comes to power. It's all powerful. No one can resist it. And it's, in the end game, the Scythians are there. That's the Russians. The Persians are there. That's Iran. And the Israelites are there. That's Israel. But there's no mention of us. You've all heard that from Chuck Missler for the last 30 years, and he's in eternity. So maybe it's the end game. Maybe this is the end game. Maybe this is the whole thing that the globalization, open borders, no accountability, redistribution of all wealth, total dependency upon a nanny state global government, a vaccine that everyone has to take or they can't shop or buy or go to school. Maybe this is that end game. I mean, obviously, it looks like that end game, but I can't say it is. What do I know? I don't even, I don't even know what code color we're going to be in two weeks from now. Right? And what do you know? The things that reveal belong to us and to our children. The secret things belong to the Lord. But we can look at his word, and that's the end game. A global government with an antichrist that emerges from that global government with all power of the devil for lying signs and wonders. Pastor Chuck used to say, he's never looking for the Antichrist. He's looking for Christ. Because when Christ comes, the trumpet sounds. We're looking for Jesus coming for his bride, the church. But maybe it is the end game. The Lord's hand is not short for the end game. When the trumpet sounds, it sounds and Jesus is coming. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, he's coming. And those who have died in Christ will rise first and we who are alive will be caught up together to be with the Lord there and thus will always be with the Lord. Is his arm shortened? My brother-in-law used to mock the idea of Christians being caught up in heaven. He used to provoke his sister, Jennifer, and mock her. Well, he's got the same hope now. You just never know who's going to get saved in a difficult time. He got saved through his mother's death, watching his mom die of cancer. Is the Lord's hand too short for the rapture to call up the church? Now, I know there's plenty of people in Christendom that don't believe that Christ is coming for his church with the rapture, but we can certainly agree he's coming a second time, and we can certainly agree he's going to rule and reign on this planet. So whether we go up or he comes down, either way, we're told we're going to be in glory and we're going to reign with him. Is his arm too short to call us up to the wedding feast? Is his arm too short to bring about his glorious plans for his church? Of course not. Is his arm too short to bring about the judgments he declares in the book of Revelation against the last generation of humanity who's under his wrath? Of course not. Tonight when you leave here, I want you to be at total peace with the Lord and know that his arm is not too short for this nation, for this planet, COVID-19, your personal life, and whatever we're facing. His hand is never too short. 
Our God is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask according to his riches and glory in his glorious church, the church of Jesus Christ. And nothing has changed because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all the promises are yes and amen in him. And while things might create anxiety and tempt us toward anxiety and uncertainty, we need to be like Paul the Apostle when he was when it was prophesied to him that difficult days were ahead of him in going to Jerusalem, there in Acts 20, speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me that I can finish the race that God has set before me. And we should not be moved. We should not be moved by evil people and injustices. We should be motivated to speak up because we're called to defend the defenseless. The Bible makes that very clear. But if God doesn't deliver us, how are we going to deliver ourselves? Either, either the Lord delivers us or there is no deliverance. It makes it kind of easy, really. You don't have to wake up tomorrow morning and come up with a great plan how to overthrow the new world order. You can get up in the middle of the night and not fall back asleep and say, Lord Jesus, truth and transparency. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's been working for me for like 10 days. It works. I mean, I'm up all night. I can't sleep. I'm just pulling up on YouTube the Bible verses with the soft wave music. They can play for like eight to ten hours. The dogs are snoring. We're all happy. Ten hours, eight hours of scripture, awake, half asleep, half awake. It's just Bible verses. I feel like, wow, all these verses are coming back to me. We need to build up our inner woman, our inner man, and our most holy faith right now. The battle belongs to the Lord. He is able. Has the Lord's arm been shortened? No. He's on the throne, and he's doing something bigger than all of us. He said through Habakkuk, I'll do a work in your day. The Lord declared to you, you wouldn't understand it. It's so big. And I feel like that. Now, when God told Habakkuk, the Babylonians are coming, they're going to rout you guys, and there's going to be no uh, grapes in the vineyard. Like, that's not exactly what I was hoping for. But how does Habakkuk end his book? He says, you know what? I'm going to sing to the Lord, whether there's cattle in the stall or grapes on the vineyard. I'm going to sing praises to the Lord, not because I'm on top of the mountain, but because he's with me when I'm in the valley. Honestly, I'm like all of you here tonight. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And the Lord's arm is not short. No one's going to pull anything over him. And in eternity, every thought and intent of the heart will be revealed. Every injustice in the entire history of humanity. I was reading about, I'm reading a book on Catherine the Great. And of course, she was... 60 years after Peter the Great. So she's Russia, like 1740 to 1780 there. And amazing woman, incredible woman. She's actually German, but she married the grandson of Peter the Great. But she wanted to change the serfdom, the stature of serfs. There were millions of serfs. There were slaves. And I, I read this, this whole detail of the abuses, what these, what these slaves went through in Russia for centuries. It goes back to Ivan the Terrible, like the 1500s, the 1600s, Peter the Great, and no one could take on serfdom. And interestingly enough, one of the main, she put together a council of people, and one of them said, if we don't resolve this, it's going to come back to bite us. And it did with the Bolshevik Revolution. Because the Bolshevik Revolution, the overthrow of the czars, 200 years later, was based upon equality and fairness for everybody, which they didn't get. But the serf who had nothing to lose, of course, are going to join the situation to redistribute wealth when people have abused that wealth. I'm reading this last night. This is from 1750s where they're telling Catherine, if we don't fix this now, it's going to come back to pay. 
And the USSR was birthed 200 years later because they never fixed the injustices of what they did when they separated children from their parents, when they raped young people and took them and did horrible things to them by the millions throughout Russia. There's nothing new under the sun. What America did, Russia did pretty much what everybody does because people conquer people and rule over them. But maybe it's all come on us. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe we'll all wake up. It'll be a sunny day in January. and be like, wow, what was that all about? Maybe not, though. But whatever we face in the future, you face in the future, wherever it takes us all in this uncertain path, probably forced vaccines in 2021. The Lord's on the throne. The arm of the Lord's not short, and we can trust him. And the Christ is not divided. He'll guide us with all things to know his heart and his will. But then he says, now you shall see what, what I say, whether it'll happen or not. See, God always has the final say. Now you'll see. So, hey, Moses, I'm going to feed a million people meat. And Moses is like, he's taking a head count of the cattle and the sheep. It's like, I, the math, it's funny math. It's not matching up. And divine math is bigger than human math. It's like the feeding of the 5,000, right? You've got the loaves, the fish. And the first time Jesus fed the 5,000, what do you have? You have 12 baskets full, one for each apostle. They still didn't get it. God's math is he can do the supernatural anytime he wants to. When Jesus came on earth, he showed his authority over every realm, the demonic realm, the defiled realm, the physical realm, the realm of the, de- the grave. That's one of the things about Jesus, I am that I am. And he, he showed he has authority over everything. And he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. If it's a coin in the mouth of a fish for Peter or feeding 5,000 with 12 baskets left over for each apostle to teach him a lesson about life, then that's what he's going to do. But he's going to do what he's going to do. If all the armies of the world were guarding that tomb on the third day in Jerusalem, and those angels are still going to be there, and Jesus is still going to appear as the gardener to Mary and say, hey, why are you crying? They couldn't keep him in the grave. Humanity couldn't keep Jesus in the grave, and humanity can't keep Jesus from coming from the right hand of the Father to split the Mount of Olives and establish his kingdom. Stand back and see now what I'm going to do. You'll see. And in due time... When this generation's done, if the Lord tarries and our great-great-grandkids are teenagers in the 2100s or whatever, at some point, this human experience as we know it will be over, and this timeline will be over. And the trumpet will sound for that last generation of the church. And Jesus will come and do every single thing he said he's going to do. The lion will lay down with the lamb, and the child will play with the cobra in the millennial kingdom. The horses will have bells and pomegranates on their side and they'll have the thing that says holiness to the Lord and water will flow from Jerusalem from 3,500 feet down to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea will be alive with flourishing with lots of fish. They can't keep a ship in the Dead Sea right now. The salt is so bad it destroys everything. Everything will come to pass. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but not one promise of mine, one word will fail. Every jot and every tittle, every dot and the I and the crossing of the T. Now you will see. So who knows what we'll see? But I'll tell you this. When you breathe your last, we'll see that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We'll see that Jesus is the good shepherd. We'll see that he's coming for us. We'll see what Stephen saw in Acts chapter 7 and 8. I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. We'll see that. We'll see on your most intense moment of your human experience when you're passing from this dimension to the next next dimension. We'll see. Because we're persuaded he's able to keep that which we've committed to him until that day. We'll see. We'll see. 
We'll see all those promises come to pass. We'll be in glory. I've had two dreams in my lifetime of heaven that I'm sure are from the Lord. And they're both incredible. Both times I woke up like, oh man, I'm still here. Truthfully, we'll see. We'll see what the Old Testament prophet said, I have not seen nor ear heard those things that God has prepared for those who love him. The New Testament quotes the same passage and says, we somewhat understand, but we still don't understand. Because even when Paul saw the full glory, heard the glory of the third heaven, he said, I can't even describe it. So as we are in this time right now, is the arm of the Lord short? And the answer is no. We need to know that everything's going to come to pass that he's promised. So even with the end game, it's going to happen. And when you think about in this text, in Numbers, what came to pass, he said he put his spirit on 70 people that he put on Moses. And what did he do? He put his spirit on 70 people, regardless of whether they're in the camp or outside the camp. And he said that he would judge those who murmured against him, who were carnal and were the fringe and the mixed multitude. He said he would judge them. And they came under his wrath. And what did he do? He judged them. So as we think about where we stand in the kingdom of God, there couldn't be too big a contrast in this chapter. Think about this. There are people called by God with the spirit of God poured out on them to do what they're called to do for the Lord. And there are people choking and gagging on meat under the wrath of God in this chapter. One group is supernaturally empowered to do what God's called them to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. The other group is gagging on their carnality and their lust. So it's really easy what, where we want to be in this chapter. I want to be with the 70 people. We want to be under that power of the Holy Spirit. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and he quotes the book of Joel, he says this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, your old men will dream dreams, and your young women, your young men will prophesy, they'll do all these things, and then will come the great and notable day of the Lord. The sun will be darkened, and it's the day of the Lord. Now, that passage is partially fulfilled in the church age because we, we do have supernatural dreams. We do prophesy. The Holy Spirit is given to all believers through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's a part of that passage that clearly has not happened. That's the very end game. And we are in this age where we can be spirit-filled. We can be full of the Spirit. We can be baptized in the Spirit. We can have the mind of the Spirit. That's our objective. Our objective is the 70 people. Now you'll see if my hand is short. Is his hand short to pour out his Spirit on you and I? Is his hand short to limit the Holy Spirit in our life if we're willing to seek him? Like, is his hand short to withhold every good gift from us? He says our earthly fathers will give, not going to give a rock or a scorpion to their kids when they ask for an egg or something. Is his hand short that he doesn't promise? Jesus said, seek, knock, and ask. And how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who cry out to him? Is his hand short? Now you'll see. What we can do is cast our fears and cares upon the Lord, and we can cry out for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can be the 70 We can be on the side of the promises with all the blessings to be spirit-filled people for such a time as this when men's hearts are failing them. God says, if my word's going to come to pass, you'll see whether what I say will happen. So let's see what happens. Let's be the spirit-filled people. Let's be the people baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's be people that have no restraint on how much we can love our enemies and how much we can yield to the Lord and be part of the solutions for humanity and bring healing where there's strife, and bitterness and hurt. 
When you see in the Old Testament where times are dark morally, that's when the prophets shine brightest spiritually. Elijah and Elisha are great examples. There's so much we don't understand what the Lord is doing and why in any generation, in our lives personally, at any time, and particularly now, this church, our lives here. But we do know, now you'll see whether what I say. And there's heroes in this chapter. It's the 70 men that are prophesying. They're speaking the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's upon them. When we read the Old Testament, we want to move toward what we want to be a part of. <laughs> this is what I want to be a part of. These things are written for our admonition. We want to be spirit-filled people at this time. We don't want to doubt that the Lord's, we don't want to think the Lord's arm is short and let God be God and let us be us. And our part in life is to be spirit-filled and yielded to the Lord. And then the other part, which is the wrath, of the, it says it's the wrath of the Lord. Verse 33, the wrath of the Lord. God says to Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But I take pleasure when people stand in the gap. And I look for someone to stand in the gap, and I found no one to stand in the gap. So as I just come to the conclusion, there is nothing I can do to stop what's going on out there right now, personally, with all my wit and planning and cunning and craftiness. And I've got some sometimes. And Pastor Chuck, remember I told you when he shared in a study 40 years ago that he, he lays in bed and figures out how he can make everything right that's wrong and plots stuff. I'm like, wow, Pastor Chuck. And we all do that. So we go over our mind like, well, we could do this, we could do that. Like, in the end, we can't do anything. <laughs> what are we going to do? It's like when Nebuchadnezzar comes, like, <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, like, or Sennacherib. It's like if God, the angel of the Lord doesn't come and set things straight, it's, what can you do? But we can, what separates us from any other organization in the world is that we're called to love our enemies. So it's not about like maintaining something or improving something, which of course we want to have happen because freedom is better than not because God gives us freedom. So don't misunderstand me. But if there's nothing on the vine, there's no horses in the stall or cattle in the stall or no money in the bank, are you still going to praise the Lord? We're going to find out maybe. We'll find out what we're made of. Aren't we finding out this year what we're made of? in the cruxable of the fire of COVID-19 and all this stuff, we're finding out. And when you see what you don't like, recognize it, confess it, and become something better what God wants you to be and be part of the solution. It's hard to watch this, but in the end, this is not our home. And all this week, the Lord's remind me, your home is in heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. You are an ambassador of Christ. You're a citizen of heaven. You're an ambassador of Christ. Same week as Veterans Day, right? Two, the Marine Corps birthday. You're a citizen of heaven, an ambassador of Christ. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Just keep investing in the kingdom. I want to say, I feel like the Lord's been telling me, finish strong. Like, finish strong, whatever that means. Finish strong could be another 20 years. It could be two days. It could be two hours. I don't know. But I, I want to get it right. Let's just, let's just end with this thought. Don't we want to get this right? We don't want to move toward eternity not believing that God can do what he wants to do, consistent with his character at any time to fix injustices, Right? Like, you don't want to have a small God on your last day. That's what I'm saying, right? Big God, little problems. We don't ever want to lose faith that God's in control and he can't do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And he's not going to change his moral character. Just because evil would seem to be prevailing at different times, it doesn't mean God is, is, that's his character. Because the beauty of grace is that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that he can let something work a certain way, but then it has an ending a certain way. So Manasseh does all these things to bring judgment on Judah, but then Manasseh ends up getting right with God in the end. And when Manasseh was evil, all he did was fulfill what God said he was going to do if the people did that. 
Like, how unsearchable are his ways? It actually says in Romans, you know, how, how unsearchable are his ways in past finding out? It's beyond us. Again, Habakkuk, I'll do a work in a day, though I declare to you, you wouldn't even comprehend it. And as the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, but the secret things belong to the Lord. So let's just exhale, let God be God. Let's, let's trust and know that he can do whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. He's still on the throne. He's the final authority. But let's look at him fulfilling his word. And let's be part of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not the wrath. Because as sure as the Spirit's going to be poured out in the last days, so is the wrath. And I don't want to experience his wrath, because, of course, Christ experienced it for us. So in that sense, it's already been paid for. God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus bore that wrath. But what do they say in Revelation chapter 6 when all starts to go down? The wrath of the Lamb has come, and it's who's able to stand. Your worst enemy, you do not want them under the wrath of God. Let me say that again in a closing thought. Whoever you think you might hate, or you think justice should be prevailed upon, however evil they might be, you do not want a child of God, a man or woman made in the image of God, under the wrath of God. Because God doesn't want them under his wrath. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So we lose our rights, we surrender our rights, we trust in God, we pray, we stand in the gap, and we hope to see people saved before the trumpet sounds.